This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is card number 117T, Bill Swift, pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. Why are we talking about Bill today? A few weeks back, I was thinking about possible vacation destinations, looking at maybe going back to Portland, Maine, something we discussed in the Bob Stanley episode. Bob Stanley, one of the few players from Maine and one of the better players from Maine, but there's another, and it's Bill Swift, who is also from Portland, but South Portland. And also, this is just an effort to connect with pop culture, the zeitgeist, Mm. Recently, another Swift has been in the news, touring the country on the Eras tour. I saw a headline today that said that Taylor Swift's tour has had an economic impact similar to the Olympics in cities that it has gone to. And I know that we saw that here in Chicago with hotels selling out. They had one of the highest occupancy rates of hotels. Just an amazing impact that she's had on cities that she's gone to. Matt, are you a Swifty? Not particularly. I'm a fan of good songwriting, and I think that she writes very good songs. I actually covered this topic about the international impact of Taylor Swift concerts, where different countries have been vying to get onto her tour and hoping to have great economic impact and also kind of residual goodwill. And I covered this on my other podcast about economics and music called The Invisible Jazz Hand. The tour is a phenomenon, and she's an incredible songwriter and performer. Well, I will attempt to drop some Taylor Swift references in throughout, sprinkle them throughout, and maybe we'll see if listeners, you can count up how many Taylor Swift references there are. But the connection here, along with the same last name, Bill was a member of the 1984 Olympic team. So where that tour is having Olympic-sized economic impacts. Bill was part of this barnstorming tour in 1984 that went around the country, finally culminating in the Los Angeles Olympics. He was a high draft pick, had a few rough years for some bad Mariners teams, and then had a really incredible turnaround. He also has a Sabre bio, and this Sabre bio was written by Bob Lemoyne. I just recently heard from Clayton Truder, former two-time guest of the show, that Bob has a book called When the Babe Went Back to Boston that was recently published about Babe Ruth's return to Boston after New York for one final season as a 40-year-old. And so we may have Bob on in the future. He's done a couple of Sabre bios of cards. An interesting note at the end of the Sabre bio is that Bill Swift reviewed his Sabre bio for accuracy prior to publication. So we know we're getting the straight facts. You cannot be too careful. So let's go to the front of 117T. This is a great looking card in the traded set. Got a headshot, essentially, of Bill Swift. He's looking off to the right. It's dusk at Jay Baller Memorial Field, somewhere nondescript. Is that the ocean in the back? It's hard to tell, but Bill's got a great smile. He's got a giant hat, and he's very well lit at dusk. His head, partially because of that giant hat, takes up like three quarters of this card. (laughs) It just makes it, plus he's leaning in, it just makes his head look huge. But that is a good smile, a good looking picture of Bill. He's got that far away glance. 
he's also just wearing a plain white t-shirt. White t-shirt underneath that jersey. That's not a performance undershirt. What's happening with this hat, though? Is this a trucker hat? It's a, It's really big. And I didn't recall the just S. I think we've discussed that logo before, that this was after the upside down M hat. And on older Mariners cards, there's a lot of these trucker style mesh backed hats. It's really not a good look. It looks as low rent as the 1980s <laughs> Mariners were. Yeah, They were looks- a cheap, famously cheap team. And this is a famously cheap looking hat. Let's go to the back of 117T. And we have Bill Swift, pitcher, six feet, 180, right handed thrower and batter, drafted by the Mariners in the first round of 1984. Born October 27th, 1961, in Portland, Maine, with a home in Bellevue, Washington. Matt, you have any favorite Swifts aside from Taylor? Jonathan Swift. A modest proposal. Phil Swift was the guy from the Flex Seal tape mm. ads where he would slap mm. the the flex seal onto a leaking pipe mm-hmm. i like that um i guess swift swiffers if you drop the t yes bill swift those were invented by <laughs> bill swift swiffer swiffer cloths yes swift boats maybe not a favorite uh, not bill a would fan. Love to get swift boated swift wind was she-ra's horse oh but as far as baseball swifts go there are four Swifts that show up on Baseball Reference. You have Bob Swift, a catcher in the 1940s. And then Lane Adams, who played a couple seasons for Atlanta, he showed up because his nickname was L.A. Swiftness, which is a very good nickname. And then Bill Swift. But there's two Bill Swifts. One of these Bill Swifts was a pitcher from the 1930s to 40s who pitched for Pittsburgh and a couple other teams, including the Boston Bees. I did not know that the Braves were, for five seasons between 1936 and 40, named the Bees. That's a fun fact that I just learned. And we will come back to that other Bill Swift later, but the fourth Bill Swift is the one on the card. So there's a a question that arises when you look at the back of this card, because similar to Tim Burtzis, Bill Swift played in the minors for two seasons prior to 1988. The last line of, of his card was Calgary. He pitched in five games and had an ERA close to nine. So the question arises, why does this card exist? Why would we have a card of a guy who played two seasons in 1985 and 86, and then maybe he's going to come back? Who knows? He actually did end up on the roster in 1988. So perhaps the Topps Corporation saw that he was going to be on the roster, assumed maybe he would get some playing time. And they actually made the right decision because this started a resurgence for Bill Swift, who had spent a couple years injured and in the minors. Matt, as you said, he was born in Portland, but raised in South Portland. Portland, definitely a place with cardigan weather, just across Portland Harbor at the mouth of the Four River. South Portland was colonized in 1630 and has a population of 26,000. It's home to multiple lighthouses and Fort Preble, built in 1808 to protect Portland Harbor. Bill called it a quiet town, a great place to grow up, and his family made up a significant portion of this population. His parents, Herb and Dorothy, had 15 children, and that is not a typo. 15 kids. Bill was the 14th of those kids. His sisters were Helen, Alice, Arlene, Peggy, Mary Frances, Shirley, Rosemary, Nancy, Kathleen, and his brothers were Herb Jr., Michael, John, Bobby, and Peter. 
Bill said that they ate in shifts and took care of each other. You just had the older ones take care of the younger ones. Soon as you were old enough to hold a plate and a towel, you had a job. When asked why there were so many children, Bill said they were good Catholics, I guess. They didn't believe in birth control. (laughs) Herb made billboards for a living and didn't make a ton of money. Bill said it was a struggle sometimes. We didn't have the best of everything, but my parents did good for as many kids as they had to feed. Herb had been a left-handed pitcher for the Portland Pilots in the Phillies farm system. And he also pitched for barnstorming teams around Maine for extra cash. He said, I'd pitch double headers. I had a rubber arm. $15 a game. I was all junk all over the place. No control. A guy would yell, let me see your fastball. I'd say that was it. But by the time Bill came along, Herb and Dorothy had used up all of the names of saints. Herb had been a big Red Sox fan and was able to name the 14th kid after a different kind of divinity. He said, I wanted William for Ted Williams. My wife wanted Charles. That's his middle name. So his name is William Charles Swift, named after the Splendid Splinter. Pretty good baseball name. And Herb, being the old pitcher, taught Bill how to pitch. He used some interesting methods. He would have, and probably used his children for this, he had two batters stand on either side of the plate, and Bill had to pitch between them. Herb said the key is making sure the batters don't swing or else they'd kill each other. (laughs) The family also had spirited family softball games. All of the kids were good athletes. Herb and Dorothy would pick teams and they would be the pitchers. The one rule was you don't hit a home run off of mom. And also a defender would stand in front of mom to protect her from line drives. Important duty for one of the kids. Bill learned from being one of 15 kids to be quiet. And being a younger child also may have led Bill to greater success in athletics There's actually a few studies that have been done about why great athletes are more likely to be younger siblings. Some references include Michael Jordan, Serena Williams, Andy Murray, and Michael Jordan said of competing with his brothers, I want that approval. I want that type of confidence. So my determination got even greater to be as good, if not better than my brother. And so along with that psychological element, there's also physical elements pushing younger siblings to beat their older siblings. So they're smaller often physically and have to adapt. Older siblings can rely on size and strength, and younger siblings have to be creative, make better decisions, use tactical intelligence to keep up. I also found it interesting that younger siblings are less protected, which allowed them to play more unsupervised. And also younger siblings were 40% more likely to be allowed to play contact sports. Just imagine if you're the 14th kid The parents are already letting the older kids raise you anyways. Just try not to blow anything up. Bill said that he was lucky to have so many siblings as it gave him good competition. Growing up in Little League and American Legion ball, he was an outfielder and idolized Carl Yastrzemski. Then in high school, he played baseball, basketball, and ran cross country at South Portland High School. Notable alumni are Greg Popovich, assistant and former 76ers head coach Brett Brown, 1970s and 80s Major League pitcher Jim Beatty, and then Charlie Furbush, who pitched for the Tigers and Mariners from 2011 through 2015. Bill wasn't highly recruited as an outfielder, but he played well at one American Legion tournament that University of Maine coach John Winkin was at, and Winkin gave him a partial scholarship as an outfielder and pitcher. He pitched a bit as a freshman, 3-1 and record, 3.56 ERA, and played in the College World Series. Then as a sophomore, 
1982, he took off. He became the man. He went 10-1 and with a 2.58 ERA. The Maine Bears made the semifinal of the College World Series, losing to Miami. Bill was also on Team USA for the Amateur World Series, winning a bronze medal. As a junior, he was still really good, 9-3 and with a 2.81 ERA, pitching 102 innings and set a school record with nine complete games. In the conference playoffs that year, he threw 199 pitches in a 13-inning performance. A local reporter saw this and criticized that level of usage. After that game, Swift wasn't the same in the playoffs and in the College World Series. Maine was eliminated after losses to Chris Sabo and Barry Larkins, Michigan, and Arizona State, who had Barry Bonds and Oda B. McDowell. Of that overuse, Bill said, I'm sure it took its toll in the end, but you know how college guys are. They don't really think of the consequences. After that season, he got more international experience in the Pan Am games and was picked in the second round by the Twins, but he decided to stay at Maine for a senior year and caused some controversy because in making the decision, he consulted a financial advisor first, and that is against NCAA rules because, you know, it's against the rules for student-athletes to take care of themselves in any way at all. The Twins knew that this was a violation, and they told Bill to sign or they would report him. If this were me, that would have led to some bad blood with the Twins, They were going to send him to A-ball. Bill wanted to start at double-A, so he didn't sign. Despite that threat that there was an NCAA violation and warnings that he wouldn't get picked as high as the second round again if he stuck around college. The Twins carried through on that threat, and Bill was suspended for one-third of the season for consulting a financial advisor. Unbelievable. That is (laughs) unbelievable. (laughs) An egregious overreach of NCAA rules, completely ridiculous treatment of student-athletes. But it does lead to a fun fact on the card. And the fun fact, where it looks like there probably was a blank space, it says that Bill had a 1.77 ERA as a senior at University of Maine, earned a save in his only relief outing of campaign. He went 5-3 and three in that limited season. He had a game where he had 17 strikeouts against Harvard. And he helped the team make it back to the College World Series for the fourth straight time, where they unfortunately met up with Inky's Oklahoma State, and they lost to Oklahoma State and Miami, getting knocked out. While in college, Bill was a three-time All-America selection, still holds the main records for complete games and wins. He went 26-7 and with a 2.48 ERA and 200 strikeouts and 267 innings. Because Bill had previously participated with Team USA in those other tournaments, he was in consideration for the Olympics. But having the draft and his future in mind, he didn't want to go to the tryouts. He said he was ready to start his pro career, and he was instead thinking about the draft. And that takes us to the This Way to the Clubhouse that Bill was signed as a first-round draft selection of the Mariners, June 15, 1984, by scout Bill Kearns. Bill Kearns played briefly in the Dodgers system in the 1940s and 50s. He was then a scout for the White Sox, Royals, and then the Mariners in the Northeast from the team's creation until his passing in 2015. He received the George Genovese Award for Achievement in Scouting in 2007 and was named Scout of the Year by MLB in 2013. Bill was the number two overall pick in the draft. So that warning that teams might think he was trouble, it didn't come to pass. He ended up getting picked even higher, signed for a $90,000 signing bonus. He said he tripled what he was going to make with the Twins. 
He was throwing about 90 miles per hour and had decent movement. Bill said today he wouldn't be anywhere near the top of the draft. But at the time, after a successful college career, he's a top prospect. Bill was ready to get going, ready to start his professional career. And he thought that the team was going to send him straight to double A. But instead, they actually wanted him to go play in the Olympics and get that Olympic experience playing against some solid opponents, getting good coaching. In the media guide, he's listed as Billy Swift, which is a fantastic name. Definitely sounds like something out of Chicago. During the entire run of the Olympic team tour, Billy was 5-0 and with a 1.18 ERA in eight games. He got a win in the Olympics, pitching four innings in a 12-0 victory over the Dominican Republic. He didn't feature in the semifinal or final, but ultimately won a silver medal, and he was grateful that he didn't skip out on the Olympics. Probably beyond his wildest dreams to take part in such a tournament. He was quoted, we were on the same floor as the basketball team with Jordan and Barkley and all of those guys. I carried the flag for the opening ceremonies and to be able to walk out there holding the U.S. flag. We were home and people were going crazy at Dodger Stadium. It was a special time. An enchanted time, one might say. In the offseason, he finished his degree in education at University of Maine, and then he went to spring training to start 1985. He didn't perform as he expected. He didn't feel confident, and he was sent to AA Chattanooga to start the season. In seven starts, he was 3-1 and one with a 3.69 ERA. He was giving up a fair number of walks, and his whip was 1.41. He expected that he would get promoted and get some more time in the minors at AAA, and he got a 3 a.m. phone call to get on a plane and meet the Mariners in Detroit. The Mariners had a ton of injured pitchers, so Bill got a big jump and a big opportunity. On June 7th in Cleveland, he was called in the second inning to replace a starter who had a broken blister, and Bill went five scoreless innings, and from there had a few good outings, including a tough 2-1 loss at Fenway, but that was a childhood dream come true for this down Easter who grew up a Red Sox fan. As the season went along, he slumped and he finished the season 6-10 and with a 4.77 ERA. Bill found it difficult to pitch in the kingdom. He threw a sinker and would get a lot of ground balls, but who knows where they were bouncing with the very thin carpeting of the kingdom. Opponents hit 300 against him at home compared to 256 on the road. In that stadium, really just everything hits different. He started 1986 in the bullpen and was decent through the first month, Then he had three starts where he gave up 14 earned runs in 11 innings. Really a cruel summer. By late June, he was sent to AAA, but was back in the majors in August, appearing in 10 more games, eight of them starts. On the year, and this is the last pro line on the card, he was 2-9 with a 6.51 ERA as a starter, compared to 2.78 ERA in 12 games in relief. Then we get to 1987, and the last line of this card looks pretty bad because 1987 was a very difficult year. Bill had surgery to remove bone spurs from his elbow and spent a lot of time training in a warehouse to make a comeback in 1988. He only pitched in five games in Calgary and had an ERA up near nine. So just a difficult season, recovering from injury, but he was determined to come back in 1988 at this point, he's 25 years old, had a major league record of 8-19 and 19 with an ERA over 5. He had serious doubts about his future. But in 88, he comes out of spring training and makes the team, justifying his inclusion in this set. He played well into June with four straight complete games. He was 5-2 and two with an ERA right around 3 through his first 13 appearance. 
And then the remainder of the season, he went three and 10 in 25 appearances split between starting and relief. He still shows that split between starting ERAs being really high and having a difficult time and playing well in relief, getting outs. So his starter ERA was near five and his relief ERA was 2.54. So about half of that. The same split went for 1989, 13 starts from May to July, and his ERA is over six. And then he's moved into middle relief and pitches well. So the Mariners have difficulties with their starting rotation. They move Bill in. Then they realize that it's not really working out. They move him to relief. And they realize that might be the spot for him. With that success in 1990, he starts out as a middle reliever. It was the right idea all along. He pitched well, had a 2.29 ERA in his first 30 appearances. Injuries in the rotation nudged him back up into the starting rotation. But this time around, things went well. He pitched great in eight starts, 2.10 ERA. But then there was a scary moment in the middle of that run. On August 5th, he got hit in the head by a Gary Gaetti line drive. He drops to the ground. He remained on the mound for a few minutes he was able to leave the field under his own power and never lost consciousness. He stayed in the hospital overnight for observations and was released with just a bruise on his forehead. So he was able to shake it off and get back on the mound a few days later. Very delicate place to be hit by a baseball. Bill was a valuable pitcher that season, finishing with a 6-4 and four record, 2.39 ERA in 128 innings, with six saves and at the Kingdom. 1.34 ERA, so a very good season. He figured out how to pitch at the Kingdom, and especially as a ground ball pitcher, having a better ERA at the Kingdom was quite an accomplishment for him. His value was recognized by Seattle. They gave Bill a two-year deal worth nearly $1.5 million. He was used primarily as a setup man for closer Michael Jackson. And this 1991 Mariners team would be the first team to finish over 500, and Bill was a solid contributor to that team. He was fourth in the American League with 71 appearances and had a 1.99 ERA. That's a 207 ERA plus. He also took over the closer role for a portion of the year, finishing with 17 saves. He was able to keep the ball down, limit home runs, and gave up only three home runs in 90 innings. After that 1991 season, the Mariners made a shocking trade with castles crumbling all around. They sent the back end of their bullpen, Jackson and Swift, along with pitcher Dave Burba, to the Giants in exchange for 1989 National League MVP outfielder Kevin Mitchell and pitcher Mike Remlinger. Mitchell would play 99 games for Seattle, then get traded for Norm Charlton. Remlinger never played for Seattle, and was granted free agency in 1993. He would go on to a solid career with the Mets, Reds, Braves, Cubs, and others. Meanwhile, Bill Swift was expected to join a thin rotation, and the Giants GM said he could become the ace of the staff. He had grown comfortable in the pen. He needed to strengthen his arm to pitch some more innings, but he was excited to be the ace, to be the starter, and also to play on grass. He said, I'm a ground ball pitcher, and the grounder would squirt through a lot of times on turf. So he's excited to be at Candlestick, and the Giants signed him quickly to a three-year extension worth $7.95 million. So pretty good raise for him. Roger Craig put him in on opening day as the starter. He went 7.2 innings, gave up only one run to get the win. Craig looks like a mastermind here. Swift reeled off four straight wins, 
then had a no decision and added two more wins. So in seven games, he's got a 6-0 and record with a 1.29 ERA and 55 innings, including three complete games and two of them shutouts. After the first few starts, Craig said, what he's got isn't just a good sinker, it's a great sinker. When you talk about most sinkers, they're in the low to middle 80s. Swift's is 92 miles an hour, and it runs and bores in so hard on right-handers. He's that rare guy who can get up with it, and guys still can't hit it. He was a sensation at age 30. ESPN came calling, as did other national news outlets. Swift talked to Peter Gammons and said, on the one hand, it really doesn't seem as if I'm pitching any differently than I did last year. But of course, when you're in the bullpen winning one game in Seattle and get off on this kind of a run to start the season, everyone wants to know either what I'm doing different, where I came from, or I guess when it's all going to end. He also added, I'm a Mainer. I don't have a lot to say about myself. Keeping that quiet demeanor of the 14th of 15 children. <laughs> he did have some injuries, including an inflamed shoulder that kept him out most of June and an irritated nerve in August that kept him out a few weeks. When he came back in September, he pitched in middle relief. He finished the season with a 10-4 and record and an outstanding 2.08 ERA. That's a 161 ERA+. plus. Even though he wasn't a starter for the full season, on the year he threw 164 innings, which was just enough to qualify for the ERA title, which requires a pitcher to throw an inning per team game played. So he had to pitch 162 innings. And so he ends up winning the ERA title. Pretty impressive for a guy who missed significant time and pitched both in starting and relief. A good season for Bill Swift. With the injuries in 1992, it was impossible to predict how Bill would handle the next season, but he answered any doubts by posting another fantastic season. By the end of June, Swift was 10-4 and with a 2.85 ERA, and the Giants were in first place by seven and a half games. Then, remarkably, at the break, with an 11-5 and record, he wasn't named to the All-Star team. His teammate John Burkett was 13-3 and record, and he was named to the team. It seems like a strange oversight. I think this was just a situation where they had a starting pitcher on the team. They couldn't name two giant starting pitchers to the team. They needed to fill it in, with, unfortunately, with other players. So disappointing that in what would turn out to be a remarkable season, Bill Swift didn't get recognized as an all-star. He finished July with a 5-1 and record, perhaps spurred on by that snub, and he won the National League Pitcher of the Month award for July. On August 10th, the Giants were 76-38. and They had the best record in baseball. Swift and Burkett were dominant to this point, but they just couldn't keep it up. In Bill's next five starts, he went 1-4, and four, including a 9-1 loss to division rivals Atlanta. At this point, there's no wild card, so San Francisco had to win the division outright to make the playoffs. They struggled a little bit, and by late September, they were a few games behind the Braves. Bill did his part to help the Giants stay close, winning his final four starts, giving up only two earned runs in 32 innings. He ends up winning his 20th game in the middle of a pennant chase, and after the game, he was emotional. He had lost his dad, who taught him to pitch in the offseason prior to the 1993 season. And Bill said, the only thing that bothers me is to have this kind of year and not have him around. It would be nice to call him right now. But going into that last game of the season, the Giants and Braves were tied. 103 wins, 58 losses, the best two records in baseball. But they're in the same division. Only one can win and go to the playoffs. 
The Giants played the Dodgers on the final day. And if both the Braves and the Giants won, there would be a one-game playoff. Bill was held back for that potential one-game winner-take-all playoff. And the Braves beat Colorado, but the Giants lost to the Dodgers 12-1. to Heartbreak. The next year, the league would implement the wild card. Of course. Look what you made me do. <laughs> so the in 1994, there would also be a strike. But if those rules had been in place in 1993, Bill and the Giants would have made the playoffs. A sad situation that the two teams with the best records in baseball don't get to play in the playoffs. But that's just just the way it goes, sadly. Bill finished the season with 21 wins, good for second in the National League after Burkett. He had a 2.82 ERA, which was fourth in the National League, a 138 ERA+. plus. His whip was 1.074, second in the National League, top 10 in strikeouts, innings pitched. He finished as the runner-up in the Cy Young balloting to Greg Maddox. He also hit 263 in 80 at-bats, which is pretty solid, especially for a guy who had played in the American League for the beginning part of his career. A really good average for a pitcher. So if you get second place in the Cy Young, is that the Mr. Perfectly Fine Award? Bill started 1994 knowing that it would likely be his last year in San Francisco. He was in the final year of his contract. The team was likely not going to be able to afford him. And he started well. Through mid-May, he was 6-3 and three with a 2.61 ERA. Then he missed time with a strained muscle. And then the season ended because of the strike, as we mentioned, and his last game, he gave up seven earned runs and three innings, and he said he was looking for a new team. He said, I'm not too worried about it. I think I've established myself as one of the best pitchers the last few years, and now I have a chance to pick the team I'm going to pitch for. I don't know if he said to San Francisco that they'll never find another like me, but he did sign in April with the Rockies. That's a choice for a pitcher to say, you know where I want to go? I want to go play in Coors Field. Bill said, I don't worry about elements. I've pitched well there. I keep the ball down. I don't give up that many home runs. I think Denver would be a good opportunity for me. It also helped that they offered him $12 million over three years. Yeah, the Rockies had the worst ERA in the National League the previous two seasons, so they needed the help. Plus, the uniforms had purple, so there was a lavender haze basically in the stadium. He was the opening day starter in the inaugural season at Coors Field. He started that first game with a 5-1 lead, but gave up a grand slam and ended up with a no decision. He gave up six home runs in his first seven starts. Bill gave up 18 in 34 starts in 1993. Bill did hit the only home run of his career on May 7th at Coors Field, of course, off of Hideo Nomo. So a pretty good pitcher to get a home run off of. Bill missed all of August, but came back strong in September to help the Rockies make an improbable run at the wild card. He went 3-1 and one that month with a 2.33 ERA, and the Rockies held off the Astros by one game in the wild card spot. To go from being on a team that lost by one game to then getting the wild card so soon after, I think it's good karma. Bill got a start in Game 3 of the National League Division Series against Atlanta. This was a must-win game, down two games to none in the best of five. Bill gave up four runs in six innings, and the Rockies lost 7-5. to five. That was Bill's only postseason game. He had shoulder surgery in the offseason, 
and his rehab took a lot longer than he expected, so he didn't come back until June of 1996. He bounced back and forth between rehab starts in the minors and Denver and doctors, leading one reporter to say there's so little left in his 34-year-old arm that his lobs actually hurt to watch. A sad situation. Bill had a lot of injuries, and this was just a lost year. He appeared in only seven games. He tried to come back in 1997. He had a 4-1 record when his shoulder started acting up again, and he also had a torn pectoral muscle. When he finally came back in July, he went 0-5 with an ERA over 8, and the Rockies said, we're never, ever getting back together, and they released him. Bill signed briefly with the Orioles. He went to their AAA affiliate, but at this point, he was throwing in the low 80s. He had lost that electric touch. He was released after a week and then tried to catch on with the Dodgers heading into 1998. Then he got a call from Seattle to come throw for Lou Piniella. He signed a minor league contract, made the team out of spring training, and actually made 26 starts for the Mariners in 1998, going 11-8, and with a 5.57 ERA in his starts. He tried to give it one more year in 1999, but things didn't go well in spring training, and he retired prior to the 99 season beginning. So closing the book on Bill Swift, 13 seasons in the major leagues, 403 games, with a record of 94 wins and 78 losses, 24 saves, and an ERA of 3.95, which is a 106 ERA+. He won the 1992 ERA title, And one odd thing on baseball reference, on the similar players list for Bill Swift, number 10 on that list is the other Bill Swift. The other Bill Swift who pitched in the 1930s went 95 wins and 82 losses with a 3.58 ERA and a 108 ERA plus. Maybe they were the same person. (laughs) This was a quantum leap situation, maybe? Yeah. Maybe it was sliders? Maybe it was some other show from 1994. Bill Swift's 20.7 wins above replacement is fourth all time among Mainers behind George Gore and Freddie Parent and Bob Stanley. How about in retirement? Matt, we didn't get too much into the love story here, but Bill met his wife, Michelle, in college. They had three daughters, Aubrey, Mackenzie, and Brindley. And they settled down in Arizona, where Bill became the baseball coach at the Scottsdale Christian Academy from 2001 to 2013. He helped with fundraising, and he built that program from 11 players to 32 players. They won four league titles, played in the state tournament 10 times in Bill's time as the coach there. And then he had an opportunity to coach at Arizona Christian University, where he spent five years as the head coach before stepping down in 2018. From the fresh face on this card, who wasn't even playing in the majors when the card came out, to what looks like a pitcher with a really good career and a great comeback career. Now, after learning all this, what do we think about him? So we have a guy here who was from this giant family, 15 kids. He said a lot of people have one brother or one sister, or they're an only child. It must be lonely for them. Bill used that littlest little littlest little 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 14 times child i don't even know what it is motivation that some elite athletes have where they have this desire to compete and they also have 
a huge family who they can just play games with and play baseball games and play softball games with. And he used that to develop as an athlete. And he didn't go to a traditional baseball powerhouse, Maine, but played in four straight College World Series and used that to then get an opportunity at the Olympic level. Just a huge jump. And then be the second pick in the draft. That's elite performance. And I saw a great pitcher in his own right, Mike Kruko, compare Bill Swift to one of our favorites, Big Daddy, Rick Russell. He said, the parallels between him and Rick blow my mind. And he said, they're quiet in the clubhouse, excellent at fielding their position, good base runner, devastating sinker, and an identical breaking ball. He said, and for me to compare anybody to Big Daddy is as high as compliment as I can give anyone. We agree. And from 1990 to 1993, there were 92 pitchers in Major League Baseball with 500 plus innings pitched. So we'll link to the stat head search. Sorted by ERA plus, Bill had the highest ERA plus over that stretch, 157, just ahead of Roger Clemens at 155. Granted, Bill, because he was splitting time between relief and starting and had some injuries, he threw 300 fewer innings than Clemens, but that also shows his versatility and his ability to succeed both as a starter and as a reliever. He pitched in more games over that stretch than all but one of the pitchers on the list. So he's throwing in a ton of games, different scenarios, some starting, some relief, and he's successful. He was successful at preventing home runs, keeping the ball down, and getting outs. And that was recognized, and he finally got paid for it. And a lot of guys that we see, they have some good seasons, and they never really end up making any money off of it. It was nice to see a guy get an eight-figure deal and actually cash in on some of those seasons where he maybe was getting underpaid. But Bill didn't seem to let that get to his head, and part of that was from his dad and from his upbringing with 14 siblings. Herb said, I always told him, no matter how great you think you are, let someone else tell you. If you pat yourself on the back, you might break your arm. And it didn't seem like Bill ever patted himself on the back, but some big names did. Sports Illustrated, for example. 50 greatest sports figures from Maine. Bill Swift was on this list as the number six greatest sports figure from the state of Maine. He's listed as Billy Swift. Number one on that list of Mainers Another 1984 Olympian, Joan Benoit Samuelson, who set the Olympic record winning the marathon that year. A very good list to be on and a a solid accomplishment for a career to be recognized by Sports Illustrated as one of the top athletes in the history of your state. Also in 1994, Swift was inducted into the Maine Sports Hall of Fame and inducted into the Maine Baseball Hall of Fame in 2000. In 2014, he was inducted into the New England Baseball Hall of Fame, and he said, to grow up in the state of Maine and to be able to get noticed is an accomplishment in itself. Also an accomplishment to be noticed when you're one of 15 children. But Bill's achievements were really impressive, and particularly on this card where he very easily could have been a career AAA pitcher, but instead he was determined to get back to the pros, and he ended up turning that into a really solid career and to win an ERA title is a really impressive achievement. I love that attitude where you can't tell if people are going to be a hero or an anti-hero, but a great story of a great guy. And so thank you very much for that, David. And thank you to you at home 
can I ask you a question? Do you follow us on Twitter? We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.